Brothers and sisters, let's take our Bibles and let's read together first from the Old Testament, from the last book of the Old Testament, the prophecy of Malachi. Malachi 3. Malachi 3. Verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And a messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who trust, who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing, until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And then we go to the next book of the Bible, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, we read from verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, 
the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now we go to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, we read from verse 1. Luke 16 from verse 1. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. For you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that, when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe, my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little, is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little, is also dishonest in much. If then 
you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth. Who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. So far our reading from the Word of God. This afternoon I preach to you this Word of God as the church has summarized it and we confess it in Lord's Day 42 of our catechism. Lord's Day 42 on page 557 of our book of praise. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money and usury. We must not defraud our neighbour in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in his commandment? I must promote my neighbour's good wherever I can and may. Deal with him as I would like others to deal with me and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. We now listen to the preaching of the gospel and afterwards we'll, re we'll sing together in response Psalm 15. Psalm 15, our Amen song after the preaching of the gospel. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, a man was walking to Jerusalem. Because he was in a hurry, he took a shortcut through a farmer's field. He had a walking stick in his hand, and with every step, the stick went onto the ground. But one time, it made a louder and hollow thunk. The man stopped and he prodded a couple of times. And no doubt, it sounded different. He went down on his knees, scraped away some dirt until he found something square and shiny, a metal box fringed in gold. With trembling hands, he opened the lid. And inside he saw gold, silver, and precious stones of every colour, a treasure 
more valuable than anything he had ever seen. With pounding heart, he forced himself to breathe slowly and think. Obviously, some wealthy man must have buried that treasure and died suddenly, the secret of his hidden treasure dying with him. Carefully, he closed the lid, covered it up, marked the spot, and went on his way to Jerusalem. In his mind, he already had a plan. He would sell everything he had, his farm, his tools, his sheep, and his prized oxen, everything. And he would buy the field in which the treasure was hidden. From the moment when he discovered the treasure, nothing else mattered anymore. Nothing was important anymore except the treasure. He would do anything and give up everything to get his hands on that treasure. For him, the treasure meant more than anything else in the whole world. And now this story, beloved congregation, this story is told by the Lord Jesus himself in just a single verse. In Matthew 13, verse 44, the Lord said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. See, in this verse, the Lord Jesus compares different kinds of treasure. Earthly treasure, like gold or silver, against the treasure of eternal life. And Jesus says, eternal life means so much more. We hear this, beloved congregation, and we agree. Without a doubt, we all agree that heaven and eternal life is much more valuable than anything that we can have on this earth. We believe that. But how does this reality affect us? How does it affect the way we live, especially with our money? I preach to you this afternoon the gospel of your salvation under the following theme. The Lord commands us to do everything, also earning, spending, saving, and giving away money. The Lord commands us to do everything in faith. And we consider three points. First, what our money cannot do for us. Then, what our money can do for us. Sorry. Then, what our money can do for other people. And thirdly, what our money can do for us. The Lord commands us to do everything, also earning, spending, saving, and giving away money. The Lord commands us to do it all in faith. We consider first what our money cannot do for us. Now let's be honest, brothers and sisters, sermons about money are not our favourite sermons. Sermons. 
we choose to believe that money is not so important. And on one hand, of course, that is true. The Bible often says that money is not important. Things of this world perish. When we die, we cannot take them with us. And so we should not get too excited about them. But somebody counted and somebody tells us Jesus says more about money than he says about heaven and hell together. It seems fair to say that in the teaching of Jesus, money was an important topic. And John the Baptist was no different. In Luke 3, when people were coming to John and John was baptizing them, the people asked John what they should be doing so that on judgment day they would be okay. How should they prepare themselves for judgment day? And then John did not say, believe the gospel. John did not say, trust in Jesus. Instead, John said, if you want to prepare yourself for judgment day, if you have two tunics, then give one of them to a person who has got nothing. And if you have food, do likewise. To the tax collectors who asked how they should prepare themselves for judgment day, John said, collect no more money than what is appointed you. And to the soldiers who asked how they should prepare themselves for judgment day, John said, be content with your wages. When we would undoubtedly say, prepare yourself for judgment day by believing the gospel or by trusting in God. When we would say, preparing yourself for judgment is a spiritual matter, John says, think about what you do with your money. In fact, what you do with your money, stop doing it and start to do it differently. Use your money to prepare yourself for judgment day. Remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector, brothers and sisters? Zacchaeus, the dishonest tax collector? When Jesus found Zacchaeus and came to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus repented. And he said to Jesus, I will pay back what I have stolen. And then, then, when Zacchaeus made that promise, then Jesus answered, Now, now that you have changed your attitude towards money, now that you have made a commitment to behave differently with your money, now salvation has come to your house. Salvation comes to your house, says Jesus when you do what is right with your money. So why did Jesus 
say that? Why is what we do with our money so important to God? Beloved congregation, God knows what our money can do for us. God knows what our money can give to us. For example, God knows that having enough money in the bank gives us security. We don't have to worry if a car breaks down, if we've got money in the bank. And God also knows that having money to spend gives us pleasure. And even more, when we have got a nice house and a nice car, that gives us self-esteem. When we have got lots of money, the result is that we feel comfortable. We feel that we have got it together. And this means, brothers and sisters, this means the comfort and the blessings that we should get from the gospel, this feeling that life is okay, which should come from the gospel, that same feeling that life is okay, we can get that same feeling from having money. The bottom line is that money and wealth and earthly pleasures are perfect idols. They are perfect substitutes for God. Because when we have money, wealth and earthly pleasures, then we can feel secure and we feel content. And then we don't feel a desperate need for God or salvation. Our money and the things that we have are perfect idols, brothers and sisters. Not just for some of us, but for every single one of us. And so, the Lord Jesus says, the test of your faith, the test of my faith, the ultimate test is, are we prepared to give up our money? What is our first love? Our God or our money and the stuff that we can buy with our money? And so it seems, brothers and sisters, it seems as if we have to choose between loving God or loving our money. And it also seems as if the choice should be an easy one. Proverbs 23, for example, says, Do not toil to acquire wealth, because when your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings and it flies away like an eagle toward heaven. That's a mouthful, but it means next time you see something really, really nice and you really want to buy it, maybe a new car, maybe a diamond ring, or maybe the classic piece of furniture, 
It looks really good. Before you buy it, imagine seeing it parked in your garage or in your living room or maybe on your finger. And then imagine that it grows wings and it flies out the door and you are left with nothing. That's what Proverbs says. And the point is that nothing that we have will last forever. Instead, we will lose it all before we die. Again, we will lose it all before we die. Or otherwise, we will leave it behind when we die. The pharaohs of Egypt built pyramids and they filled those pyramids with wealth because they imagined that they could take it with them into the afterlife. But they were wrong. They had to leave it all behind. Because when we die, we cannot take anything with us. And that's the bottom line, brothers and sisters. That's what our money cannot do for us. Our money is good for us only in this life, but not afterwards. That is our first point. In our second point, we will now consider what our money can do for other people. Usually, beloved congregation, usually when we talk about money, this is roughly where the conversation stops. Money is not so important because we cannot take it with us. End of story. But actually, this is not where the Bible stops. Instead, the Bible takes us at least one step further. We just read together from Luke 16. Luke 16, a most interesting story. In Luke 16, the Lord told that parable of a rich businessman who employed a steward, a manager who ran his business, but that steward was dishonest with the possessions of his master. How was he dishonest? What did he do with the possessions of his master? Well, the Lord tells us, in this parable, the steward knew that he would soon be fired from his job. So, while he's still working, while he still has the chance, he gives away some of his master's money. He gives away some of his master's money as bribes to make friends. So that later, after he has been fired from his job, later his friends, his friends whom he is now bribing with his master's money, later those friends will look after him and they will pay him back. What a crook. But the Lord says, that man is shrewd. What that man does is smart. Because that man thought ahead. He understood. Now I have got all this money. 
Now I can use all that money to my advantage. But, that man thought, but one day, when I'm fired from my job, I will not have that money anymore, and then I will not be able to use that money to my advantage anymore. So, that man thinks, so, if I am clever, I will find a way today. I will find a way right now to make that money work for me later. Jesus says, clever people in the world who do not believe in God, they find a way to make the money that they have now work for them later. But, Jesus says, Christians, Christians are not so smart. Because when we think about God and our money, the only thing that we think about is the fact that when we die, we cannot take our money with us anymore. That's where our thinking stops. But if we were smart, says Jesus, if we were as smart with our money as those unbelievers are in the world, then, then we would also find a way to make our money work for us later, after this life is over. So, we cannot take our money with us when we die, says Jesus. But we can, so to speak, we can send our money ahead of us. Before we die, we can send our money ahead of us to heaven so that when we stand before God on Judgment Day, our money will help us. Amazing, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Think about how this might work. Think about how we can send our money ahead of us. Surely, the Lord's explanation is clear. What the Lord says in this passage, if we use our money to help other Christians, if we use our money to support Christians in Mandajong, Christians in Australia, Christians around the world, if we use our money to support these people, then, after we die, when we appear before the judgment seat of God, then those Christians who we help in this life, they will be waiting for us. They will be ready to receive us and welcome us because in this life, we used our money to help them. So imagine, brothers and sisters, Imagine that the Australian government would decide starting January 1st, 2024, we will no longer use Australian money, but we will use American money instead. Imagine that starting January 1st, 2024, 
Australian money will be no good anymore. What would you do? Surely you would take your Australian money to the bank and you would exchange it all for American money? If your Australian money will have no value in 2024, get rid of it. Exchange it for money that you can use in 2024 and beyond. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, says Jesus, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Why not? Because earthly treasures are bad? No. But because they won't last. Earthly treasures won't last. But on the other hand, if anyone sacrifices anything for the sake of Jesus, if anyone sacrifices his family, his property, his wealth, then truly, said Jesus, then he will receive back from the Lord a hundred times over. A hundred times over. That means an interest rate of 10,000%. And for this reason, beloved congregation, it is true. Whatever we have in this life, when we die, we cannot take it with us. But if we would be smart with our money, if we would use our money to support mission work and the church and a school and the Christian community around the world, then our money will continue to be a blessing for us even when this life is over. Even when we stand before the throne of God on Judgment Day, investing our money to support God's work and God's people, that is wisdom. That is the wisdom that our Lord Jesus Christ speaks about in his word. One more little comment. In Matthew 6, the Lord Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, in the first place, there your heart will follow. That comes second. First your treasure, then your heart. We can understand this. Imagine if we invest in Microsoft or Telstra, or BHP. If we invest there, we place our treasure there, then our heart will follow. Our heart will follow in the sense that quite naturally, next week, and next month, and next year, we would regularly go to the business pages, in our newspapers, or on the internet, and we would find out 
how Microsoft or Telecom or BHP is doing. Where our treasure is, where our investment is, there our heart, there our interest and our concern will follow. So, if we would put our treasure in a collection bag, if we would invest our treasure, the bulk of our money in the kingdom of God, in mission, in the deaconry, in supporting the schools or any other Christian organization, wherever we put our money, our hearts will follow. That's what Jesus says. Wherever we invest our treasure, there our hearts will be also. It is important that we get this straight, brothers and sisters, because we understand that God loves the cheerful giver. We understand that God wants us to give willingly from the heart. Because we love God, we give. But when Jesus says, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, Jesus turns it around. Jesus says, you find it difficult to give cheerfully? I do. The Lord says, you really want to hang on to your money? I do. But then the Lord says, start by changing your behavior. No, don't put a few extra dollars in the collection bag. But instead, choose a cause that is honoring God. And then support that cause enthusiastically, wholeheartedly, and prayerfully. And then, where you invest your treasure, where you put your money, your heart will follow. How that works exactly, psychologically, spiritually, brothers and sisters, I cannot explain that. But the Lord Jesus Christ says so. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let us use whatever we have in the service of God. Because when we do that, that can change, that can guide our hearts. That is our second point. In our third point, we will now consider what our money can do for us. In Psalm 95, brothers and sisters, the Lord complains because the Israelites in the desert tested him. And in Luke 4, when the Lord was being tempted by Satan, the Lord says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So, testing the Lord is a bad thing. But, on the other hand, in Malachi 3, the passage we just read together, the Lord says, test me. Indeed, the Lord challenges us. He says, test me. So is it okay to test the Lord? Yes or no? 
Or a better question, what is the difference between testing the Lord in a way that is okay and testing the Lord in a way that is not okay? What's the difference? Well, if we imagine a teacher at school in a classroom where students are making a lot of noise, imagine finally the teacher saying, now I've had enough, now I want silence. Then it's not unusual for students to test the teacher to see how far they can push, how much can they get away with. That is how the, the Israelites tested the Lord in the desert. They tested the Lord to see what they could get away with. But there is also a different kind of testing. When mum takes a child with her to the swimming pool and her child cannot swim, then mum goes into the deep water and her child stands on the edge of the swimming pool and mum says to him, jump and I will catch you. And then if the child dares, if the child trusts his mum, he will jump. And when he jumps, he tests his mum. He jumps and he discovers that he can trust his mum because she is there to catch him. And in this way, beloved congregation, Malachi challenges us to test the Lord. Malachi says when you get your paycheck and when you don't know if you have got enough, I dare you, I dare you to give your first fruits to the Lord before you make your budget and before you figure out how much you're going to need yourself. I dare you to give to the Lord your first fruits. Do this and so test the Lord and see if the Lord does not open the windows of heaven and if he does not bless you. Test the Lord and experience that he cares for you because he promised to watch over you. He promised to provide for you. He promised, so test him. And see it for yourself. Experience for yourself in your own life that God keeps his promises. And Malachi goes on to explain. Sometimes it does seem to us as if life is not fair. Often we have the impression that other people have it easier than we do. And then... We can be jealous of other people. It is the sin that lives in our hearts. And then, no, it is not true that life is always fair. Life is not fair. In many countries, Christians are persecuted. In many places, the godless prosper. But the prophet Malachi, he spoke about a time in the future. He says a time will come when we will all be able to see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God 
and those who do not serve him. A time will come when those who serve the Lord, they will prosper. And at that time, those who do not serve God, they will face disaster. And that is the time that we are looking forward to, brothers and sisters. Today, we must live in faith. That means what we see today, what we experience today, is not what God promised. God promised that those who trust him will be blessed and they will prosper and their families will be happy and successful and in their lives everything will be great. And God also promised that those who do not live in faith will not prosper and everything that they try will fail. That time is yet to come. And so living in faith we must wait for the time to come when we will see with our own eyes that the people who love God and who serve God, we're going to be blessed richly. But that time will not come in this life. Instead, today, we must live in faith. But faith is not just a matter of the heart and the soul or even the mind. Faith is not just a matter for Sundays and Bible study meetings. Beloved congregation, faith is a way of life. Faith is a way of dealing with other people, a way of spending money, and as God's children, trusting Him, living in faith, we must learn to use our money in the way that God intended. After all, it remains true that our money belongs to him. If we use our wealth in the way that God intended for his glory, then he will reward us. He will repay us even a hundred times over. So, brothers and sisters, we have much to look forward to. A blessing, life everlasting, always with him, always rejoicing in his abundant goodness. That is the promise of the gospel. Amen.